Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Pastor Jeff Stewart. I've heard growing up from, uh, mainly from my mother, was a word that I didn't really like that much. It was the word sacrifice. She often said that I make all the sacrifices around here. And we always said, Mom, don't tell us because it's not a sacrifice. Now, when you tell us. <laughs> and then she would be the one that would call the family talk meeting. My dad pretended that he was in on it, but he never was. And she would say, you know, there's some people around here that need to make some sacrifices. And she always looked at us, but she also meant my father as well. Then, when I got married, the same thing happened all over. My mom never got together with my wife, but she said, this I had the same speeches. I make all the sacrifices around here. And we need to get together and have a talk. Some people need to make some sacrifices around here. I never liked that as a kid. I don't, still don't like that word sacrifice. Because it has to do with giving something up. Usually it involves something that I had to do some chore or job that I didn't want to be you know, known or heard. I wanted, didn't know, want anybody to find out I was doing those kinds of things because of my pride, my reputation. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. You see the title. It's kind of an oxymoron, relinquishing reputation. I looked up the definitions. I put them in your outline. like like for you to think about those. These don't really match with the way we are by human nature. First of all, relinquish is to uh, retire from or give up or abandon, to put aside or desist from, let go, surrender, cease holding physically, release a grip. We don't readily do that, do we? But reputation, we're more, we concentrate a little bit more on that one. General estimation in which a person is held by the public. Don't we all want to be liked? The other one is just the state or situation of being held in high esteem. Now, if you relinquish that, you let go of that, that really goes against our nature, relinquishing our reputation because it's difficult for us to sacrifice. That's what we're called to do, though, on a daily basis as people who claim to follow Christ. He didn't make it easy. He said, if you're going to follow me, you've got to take up your cross, die to yourself daily, on a daily basis. So he gives us a heads up. We have to be reminded of that on a daily basis. I have to be reminded of that. On a daily basis. And there's lots of, pas- lots of passages that talk about that. But one principal passage that we often talk about here, or you've heard in other places if you're a follower of Christ, is that from Philippians 2, 1 through 11. And I'd like for you to listen to it with fresh ears. Uh, because every time you read God's word, even that which seems familiar, has new truth and hits home with us. Listen again as Paul writes these words. He says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, and we do, any comfort from his love, we do, any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, and we felt that this morning in worship, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Nothing. Ouch. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not look only for your own interests, but also the interests of others. Your attitude, oh, I often heard that word. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And there's a colon. You see the colon? Usually after the colon, there's something that qualifies it or elaborates it. And these are the words that Paul gives us. Who, being in the very nature God, 
we've been worshiping this morning, did not consider equality with God, his reputation, that which he had a right to hold on to, something to be held on to, grasped. He relinquished it, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him. And to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus, as we have been singing this morning, every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is exalted. Jesus Christ is the master to the glory of God the Father. Now, in my life, growing up, there were two examples of, of, to me of people that were truly humble. And I looked at them, and, and I really learned something from them growing up. One was Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa was just someone who wanted to follow God and had a passion for those who were hurt and lost and those who were in need. She started the Missionaries of Charity with 12 people, and it grew to 4,000. And people were always exalting her because of the work she was doing, but she didn't want that. How many of you know when she died, what day she died on? How many of you know that? What day did she die on? Yeah, and who died also that day? Princess Diana. Princess Diana. A lot of people didn't remember that Mother Teresa died on that day. She was that humble. Another person that is, I think, exemplified that discipline of taking on the attitude is Billy Graham. Still lives with us. He's, he's very feeble right now. Has Parkinson's and prostate cancer. And yet God has used him in so many ways. He's spoken to 210 million people in his lifetime. And many have come to faith in Christ. When I was in high school, I was one of these closet Billy Graham crusade television watchers. I don't want anybody to know I was watching and crying as the people were coming forward. And I was giving my heart to Christ over and over and over. Watching Billy Graham. Yet, he has never been proud and never been uh, like God and I have done this. He's maintained humility, that discipline, that attitude of Christ. And those have been examples in my life. What examples do we have, though, in our own midst? We have many examples. And this morning, I want, to sh- I want people to share who have recently had God move in their lives to take on the attitude of Christ, the discipline of actually doing something that they never got, God had never, they never expected God to do in their lives and were challenged by that. So I'm going to invite Dave and Debbie King to come forward. I'm going to invite Chris and Kevin Heyer, Bruce Twomley, and Dave Core to come forward at this time. Because in the last 12 months, these people have seen things that they had never expected to see in their lives as they have learned about taking on the attitude of relinquishing their reputation. Bruce, we got the Peru row here in the front row. These folks went to Peru. Except Kevin and, and uh, Chris have been also down to New Orleans after, right after Katrina. And they have also been to Rancho de Sus Niños. So they've, they've done a, a lot of things that God has taught them through. And, and we've got Dave and Debbie King who just got back from Romania. They're over the jet lag, aren't you? Okay, you look good. <laughs> and Dave went down to Rancho de Sus Niños and is looking forward to going back there again. What I want to do is just ask them, just as a model... Because these are real people. They're like us, folks. They just came up from where you were. They're just like us. 
about what it was that motivated uh, them to go, what they expected before they went, if they were nervous or had some fears, if they made some discoveries when they were in the places God uh, called them to go, and how God has shaped you through this, and how you can encourage folks here to uh, explore ministries and opportunities outside their own worlds. First of all, anybody here, let me know what, what motivated you to go. Uh, Bruce, you want, we'll, we'll start with well, Kevin. Let's start with Kevin. What made it, motivated you to go, Kevin, to any of those? You want to start, Chris? No. no, no. <laughs> she, she won't quit if you want. Um, <laughs> I said they're real people. Well, having worked with the, the youth group a number of years, uh, uh, we had lots of opportunities to go and uh, see what it was like. And uh, you take a group of kids and, and you're hoping to impress upon them the, uh, the importance uh, of uh, sharing God's love in another place. And so uh, it, was, it was easy for us to go. It's like God puts those opportunities in front of you and you just take advantage of them. Next. <laughs> What motivated me to go was, uh, you had talked about Mother Teresa uh, several years ago. I heard an interview with her saying that uh, she just got finished uh, bathing some people that were really, really sick. And uh, it was a real dirty job. And the reporter said something to the effect that uh, I wouldn't do that job for a million dollars. And she came back with, I wouldn't do it either. And I, and I, I took that to uh, in my heart to say, you know, there's somebody that's doing something really uh, Viable, and uh, someone in the church mentioned that Dan Purdy was taking a group to Mexico. And uh, all you need to do is talk to Dan for about ten minutes, and you're, <laughs> you've got to find out what it is that uh, moves him to uh, want to go back there as soon as he comes back. And uh, I had to have a piece of that, so uh, I went down there uh, with the mission team. And we uh, have been coming to this church for. Uh, well over 10 years, and we've had the opportunity to hear a fellow named Tom Egham come every year around Thanksgiving, and he talks about his ministry, which is called Hope for Kids International, which I think we've all probably been with Tom, and just an awesome, awesome uh, ministry that he has, reaching out to kids in Peru, uh, Chile, uh, Russia, where we went, Romania, and Uganda, he spoke recently. And he was just so inspiring, but just as amazing as his words are, you just can't understand it until you actually go yourself. And so the issue here is just making yourself available, and God will use you. And for me, um, I've been to enough mission trips to know when you have certain expectations, whichever expectations you think that it's going to occur... God trumps that every time. <laughs> so I, I tried to minimize what I thought was going to happen and just let God take care of that. But the amazing thing is, when you get motivated by that kind of thing, it's almost addicting. It's almost like when you're in that kind of a front line with God, with His will, it just seems so right that you just want to keep going back. And for many of the people who've been on mission trips, it's not one and done. It's when am I going again? Chris, what motivated you to go to New Orleans or Peru or Rancho de San Ninos? Um, I'll speak about the Rancho. Okay. Um, I have been a couple of years to the Rancho, and then, and Kevin and I have gone on so many trips. We feel like God is calling us to go for longer term. So last May, we went for a month and stayed at the Rancho, um, and. Uh, When you're there for a week, you work and you share and you play with the kids. But 
with 30 days, God really worked on my heart that um, he did. I, I really do feel called long for our long term, and my heart is for the women um, because they work so hard, whether they're just taking care of their children or they're working at the rancho. They're taking care of a lot of children. They're feeding everybody at the rancho. Um, they're cleaning, and they don't have a lot of time for themselves because then they go home to their family. So um, the my heart is being burdened for those women and even these young girls that we saw in Peru who are having children at the age of 12 and 13. And I thought I didn't have, what can I do for them? But it's just being there and sharing your life with them and them being able to share their life with you. So the trips are continue to encourage me. Let's talk about the process of the expectation you, you have before you go, maybe some of the fears, but the discoveries that, that change those expectations, some things you expect that aren't there, some things that you never even thought of that you would learn happened there. Any of that happened to any of you as you went? Well, when I went uh, to Romania uh, with my family, I expected to see a lot of poverty and a lot of, um, well, a lot of real sad, heartbreaking situations. And indeed, that was what we, we encountered was a lot of extreme poverty and um, children that had been abandoned by um, their parents because they were less than perfect. And um, so it was indeed, you know, a real heartbreaking experience. But what I didn't expect to see was the hope there that um, God's putting people in the right places and that um, through, through his work you can see things starting to change for some of the, the children. And that, that was uh, a real comfort to my heart, was to see that there is hope there. Absolutely. There's a, in Romania, I mean, I didn't know what a gypsy was. Uh, and they're just a group of two million people that are absolutely reviled in Romania as they're lower than low outcasts. Um, a girl that might reach the age of 13 or 14 years old actually might be sold for $200. Uh, they, these look, girls may have children and they're abandoned um, and, and they, they become orphans with absolutely no rights I want to tell you though we ran into an angel named Michelle Kelly um, who, who is, has a home there that takes these girls in and um, takes and cares for them and their babies and um, you should all be as proud as I was when she stood up at one point and said you know and Dave and Debbie's church Northgate has supported me for years and so that's one of the missions that, that, this, that this church supports um, overseas. And just to see this angel in the midst of, you know, this type of uh, situation really made me proud of, of this church. Yeah, I got hooked on, uh, I had no expectations because I wanted to keep an open mind. So I didn't quiz Dan about too much about what we were going to be doing. Uh, I expected to see a lot of poverty. I expected to see a lot of kids with runny noses and and crummy clothes, but that, that was just the opposite. The kids are well cared for. Um, what I didn't expect was what, while we were walking around the barrios that uh, even though these people have extreme poverty, they were all happy. It seemed they were happy. We'd go past our flyers and uh, they'd welcome them. They didn't crumble them up and throw it away and, and say anything derogatory. There was a lot of gracias and uh, they'd come to the evangelistic uh, trailers and uh, uh, about 35 of them that night received Christ. So if we had uh, 
any kind of uh, uh, bearing that we brought them there, it was a, it was a good thing. Uh, my my door, we lived in dorms, and my my bunk happened to be next to the uh, the next building over was the chapel. And at 6:30 in the morning, the kids were all singing in Spanish the praise and worship songs that we sing here. And uh, to start your day like that, it was just. Uh, it was, uh, except for the porta potties, it was like a slice of heaven. <laughs> but it was, uh, uh, you didn't see any fighting. We had no TVs, radio, newspapers, so we didn't know who was killing who in the world. Yeah. Uh, we didn't know some maniac in a car decided to get uh, ticked off and go run over people. And uh, it was just a whole week of that it was just uh, really enlightening. So I came back and uh, I put an application to work there long term, and it's going to take. Uh, uh, the Lord working on my wife to get her on the same page as I am. <laughs> and uh, I talked to Pastor Ken and also the director of the rancho, and uh, they said the same thing, that if, if their wives were not on the same page as they were, they would have waited. And so uh, I'll wait. Yes. <laughs> um, what was the question? <laughs> Expectations. Discovery. Expectations. Um, we went for the 30 days, and we knew we were going to be doing porta potties and bucket showers, and it was kind of a test, like, can we even do this? And I also feel like I don't really have much to offer. Um, I don't work outside the home. I cook and clean and, you know, do average things. And I know that's one thing that a lot of people worry about. Well, what am I going to do? Well, for one thing, you never know what you're going to do. When you wake up in the morning, they tell you, oh, we need somebody to do this. We need you to do this. And you go, I've never done that. <laughs> and you do it. And uh, so that's always kind of a fear for me is what am I going to do? What are they going to want me to do? And what if I can't do it? Um, also, one of my other worries is I don't speak Spanish. I can fake it. <laughs> and I can understand it better than I can speak it, which is very little. And, um, but you don't need to even worry about that. Um, I don't know how Debbie and, and Dave were with uh, Romanian or whatever they speak, but um, you don't have to worry about that. You, you communicate with the little Spanish you have, with, the, with you know, sign language, with just your smile. And and I talk a lot, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I was doing a lot of uh, what's the word? So um, I was hoping to learn more Spanish, and I I did get to learn a little bit more Spanish. Let's uh, let's turn to some of the God moments maybe you had, particular particularly something that has really become a, an insightful time where you saw God at work through you, how God has shaped you in those moments and you know, what God has done, is doing in your life through those, those particular uh, highlight moments you remember. Share some of those if, if you have some of those. Well, I know for me, I got the opportunity to work with another OT and we went into uh, some private orphanages and private homes where um, a lot of the special needs children were abandoned. And, um, God really worked on my heart during that time because um, I kept saying to myself, what you do for the least of these, you do for me. And I kept, that verse kept going through my mind as I was holding children that were, um, you know, 
had absolutely no rights in this country to expect any kind of health care or um, any, any uh, availability to make them more typical. Things that we would do here for these children are just, they don't have the rights to even request that over in Romania. So that was um, a point where God just sort of turned my heart and said, you know, it's not hopeless. There are people here that you can help train. And so um, the, the girl that I hooked up with, she and I actually trained some care providers there and, and got to actually see the love that these people had once you gave them some tools to work with that they could actually do some things to help the kids too. Um, where we were working in one of the barrios, um, well, nobody from Hope for Kids had been, they hadn't started their ministry there. And so they're really pinpointing the, the children with the worst illnesses first. And right the home that the lady had opened her home for us to eat lunch inside and to keep our things, um, there was a young girl, young lady living there with her. I don't know what the relationship was, but she had a, a baby, oh, maybe four months old, and the baby had a cleft palate. Well, everybody was talking about it, and we were going to get the baby help, which we were able to do. But um, on one of my walks to the porta potty, I saw the lady with her, the young lady with her baby, and I just asked God, please, I want to be able to love this baby the moment I see him and not to be repulsed or, or scared and because I didn't want the mother to see that in my face. And uh, so I asked her if I could see her baby, and she uncovered him. And he, that isn't what I even saw first, his cuff palate, even as, as serious as it was. He was just the most beautiful baby. He had such a gorgeous face and eyes. And yes, he had a cleft palate, but that it wasn't even what I saw first. And I just thanked God that he let me see the baby's beauty and how much this mother loved him. And, um, and that we were able to share in the fact that we were going to get to take him to the hospital and she would get to go with her baby and they were going to start on surgery. And uh, if you go to the website, there's actually Hope for Kids website. You can see a picture of him. And hopefully we'll get updated pictures of him as his surgeries continue. I think one of the things that I see more often, and if you go enough times, the experience never gets old, but I think you start doing almost a vicarious experience, almost like um, when a father is watching his son or daughter go through something that they've already gone through, and the joy comes from the experience of watching somebody who hasn't been on a mission trip, or has young adults, teenagers, we had teenagers on our trip. Um, where they, they, they just have no idea, and you can't express it to them, well, this is poor, and then this is poor. But when they go, they, they go with the Americanized version of how we're going to help them and what we're going to do for them. But when they come back, they realize what God has done for them, mm -hmm. how they've looked at things so much differently, and how they can never look at them the same way again. And you, we usually have a time where we come down, where we have a day, I know, Rancho de Seuss does that um, for a good reason because there has to be that moment where you just have to download. You just have to be able to say, what can I do with this now that I have this in me, this new change in me? Now how can I make this something really effectual? And the wheels just start spinning when you come back from the trip. 
Um, one of the, the neat things about it, and, and Tom insists on that, is that we have our email addresses. And we had a group of 46 people. So they're flying back and forth and, you know, little updates here and there. And so it's kind of a family has grown out of a, a group of disparate people. And I really love that it shapes, God shapes us into a family, even from strangers. Yeah, absolutely. We had such an amazing team. Our, our team was a little more intimate, only 18 of us. But, you know, the trepidation of going and saying, well, what, what can I do in Romania? You know, how can God use me? And sure, we did some work. And I know Kevin and those guys have done a lot of heavy manual labor. And we did some of that as well. But there were these God moments where um, I was sitting in a field with, uh, <clears throat> you know, just shacks around us with no roof, hardly any roofs, dirt floors. And this is where these little kids are living. And... Um, Three of them, they had to be three, four years old, and I just happened to have a puppet with me. And uh, just, to, just to be able to sit with those kids and have them just rolling on the ground laughing. Uh, they were scared of my puppet. I mean, it's like they'd never seen one before. And then, you know, amidst all of that, the, the little Romanian that I did learn was, you know, Jesus te ubeste, which means Jesus loves you. And, and they, they kind of get it, you know, but there are people there on the ground um, pastors and really dedicated people working in this village that are getting that message across. They're building a school. They don't have water yet, but they're building a school there. So um, just, uh, just a God moment that, that's, that sticks with you, and then you get back to your computer and you're thinking, you know, it's, it takes an adjustment. You know, it's like, what does this mean that I'm doing right now? So hopefully one day we'll get to go back. And mine was the evening of the evangelistic trailers. Uh, we would go out in the barrios in the evening and uh, pass out flyers. And uh, my whole fear going down there was you, you could see these uh, poor sections from the freeway, but when you get out of your car and you're actually walking around these, uh, these places where these people are living, I, it was my fear that, you know, oh, my God, if I ever lost my job, would I be able to live in this kind of circumstance? And I found out that I could. Um, but we'd pass out these flyers and they'd come to the trailers and then uh, by the end of the evening there was probably 35 that came forward and received Christ. And the next night in the Elvis church, uh, his name is Elvis, he's one of the graduates from the Bible uh, uh, college there. Uh, there was about four or five people in that church that came forward and it was, you know, if there was any small part on, uh, on our part that we helped to uh, make that happen, it was, uh, it was really uh, comforting. Kevin, did you have a God moment? Um, <clears throat> yeah, I had more than one of them, and it, it seemed like they were all pointing to the same thing. Um, the, uh, Jesus told parables, sometimes three at a time, so that you'd really get the point. And it was at least pointed out to me uh, three times. Um, we, uh, we were a group of about 45, and, and uh, we would go out to dinner late at night, and we'd go to a restaurant. And uh, this one night in particular, we were walking into this uh, restaurant, I guess it was about... 8 or uh, 8.30 at night, and uh, we're, um, we're filing through the uh, doors to go into the restaurant. <clears throat> and there's this little boy, and I don't know how old he was, maybe 7 or 8, but uh, he's standing at the door of this restaurant begging for food. He's just, that's all he wants. He wants something to eat, you know. And I just thought that was really sad that this doesn't have to be like this. And then another time when we were in the barrios, we were... Uh, um, um, we had gone and done a morning's worth of construction, and the, uh, uh, some of the rest of our partners were out doing uh, Bible study with the kids and, uh, um, you know, interaction, uh, <laughs> soccer and stuff like that. 
but it was time for us to eat. And so we went into one of the little uh, houses of the people that are a local support there, and uh, we were standing around the table with our sandwiches that they'd made for us. And uh, um, um, the little kids that they just had out at... Uh, out at VBS were standing there at the window looking in at us eat and I just I, I couldn't hardly eat it just didn't seem right you know and then uh, um, this one last time um, it seemed like we were flying around a lot every time we you know went from one place to another we'd get on an airplane and they'd give us these little sandwiches and pretty soon it was like you know I don't even I didn't want this sandwiches too much you know so Chris and I put them in our backpack and the next night we were out walking around uh, um, Cusco? Cusco. And uh, uh, we were just walking around. It was late at night. And we saw this, this little old man in a corner, just uh, raggedy old clothes, just filthy, and unshaven, just dirty, just standing there with his head down, you know. And uh, so I walked up to him, and I gave him one of these sandwiches that I got off of the airlines. And he kissed it. He was just so happy to have it. So, I mean, you can, you can hear that there's people that don't have enough to eat, that there's people that are poor, but until you go and experience that and uh, share some of yourself, then it's, it's hard to know what it's really like. Mm -hmm. At, uh, it's very encouraging for us to hear that. Uh, and I'd like, you know, for the rest of you, just in a, in a short sentence, just encourage others to explore, to see what, what God has out there. There's, it, you don't have to go to Romania. There's, there are opportunities right in town here. But just in, in, your, in your way, encourage others to explore so they can discover what God can do through them. I just say go and, and watch God work because it's amazing to see his hand in so many different places in the world and just to see how he uses you and how he uses other people. It's truly an amazing experience. Yeah, don't be afraid. Just step out and trust God that... That, that he will use you exactly where he wants you to be. And you'll come back changed. And you'll get more than you give. And your, your life will be sort of recalibrated in terms of your priorities, I'm sure. Absolutely. This was uh, <clears throat> to have to pay to go down there and uh, give up a, a week's vacation and uh, live in, in, in the conditions you have to live and come back. And it was uh, probably one of the best vacations of my life, if I call it a vacation. But... Uh, uh, I'm ready to go again. Yeah, and the idea of, of getting past one's fear, I think that usually holds most people back. And I, I see it again and again. It's once you take that first step, God meets you. And, and unlike most other things where you really can't see God in this, this is something where you can't miss God in this. Um, I really encourage everyone, all adults, a lot of the teenagers get to go on trips with youth group, but adults that may have missed that, I encourage you to go just that one time, even if it's just an urban trip where you go like into San Francisco and pass out blankets or, or sandwiches or something, because it really helps you to see what it is God wants you to do, and it'll encourage you to just go next door and take cookies to your neighbor that you might not have met. Or maybe one of your neighbors is sick or somebody in the family has died and you just go and, and do something for them. That, that's the mission field right there. But when you go on this trip, it really opens your eyes to needs everywhere you go. And, uh... 
that's, and we tend to let our distractions get in our way. And this really helps you to focus. One of the dominating words that the folks have been using is go. And that's exactly what Jesus told us to do. He says in Matthew 10, 7 and 8, he says these words. As you go, as you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. And then he qualifies it with these words. Freely. You have received. Freely. Give. Vacation time, a little fun money, could have been done in other places. And so I want to encourage all of us to think about what God can do if we take on the attitude of Jesus Christ. We're going to share now in the meal that Christ has encouraged us. I'm going to ask them to, all of y'all, to come down and help me with it. But it was on the night that Jesus was gathered with his disciples for a festive occasion, something they didn't expect, that he took the elements that were utilized for the Passover remembrance of bread and wine, and he caught their attention. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you, relinquishing his reputation, sacrificing, becoming one of us. Eat this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup. He said, this is my blood which is poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Drink this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim his sacrifice, his death, until he returns again. We invite all of you to share in this meal. If you've made a commitment to Christ, if you haven't, we understand that people are in process. They haven't made that decision. There's no judgment if you don't partake and you can pass the tray. But we want to encourage everyone who has made that commitment to share in this meal. As you receive the bread, we're going to ask that you hold on to it, and we will take it together, which will symbolize that corporate love that God has for all of us, and we will celebrate his love. Let's pray. God, thank you for the stories that we have heard today, the adventures, the pioneering work of following you, God, is is an amazing adventure. And we thank you for the episodes and chapters of of, of your work within everyone's life here and all of us. We ask that you will remind us of that commission, but also that we would reflect on your sacrifice on our behalf because of your great love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California. 